It's August 23rd, 2017, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. Today, we're going to jump right into our main feature and talk about the state's efforts to transform its information technology. Yes, and we've invited Governor David Ige, the eighth governor to the state of Hawaii in his third year. Also, we have here Todd Nakapoi, the state's chief information officer. We want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Aloha. Oh, thank you. Yeah, good. So, Governor, we'll start with you, and we'll ask you, you know, um, in terms of your getting into the office, and I've always wanted to ask you this question, and it's only now that we got you on the radio. What, what did you see as being some of the first things that you wanted to do with regard to sort of the whole IT infrastructure with the state? Obviously, Bert and um, you and Ryan are, are very familiar. Uh, for the most part, the, the core IT infrastructure in, in Hawaii was 30 years old and antiquated and, and broken down. And uh, so much of um, critical systems uh, were obsolete and not no longer supported by vendors. And so it really, um, one of the whole priorities was really to bring the state IT system, you know, into modern times. So mm -hmm. much of it was so antiquated and uh, no longer supported. Mm -hmm. Now, Todd, in terms of uh, that kind of uh, objective, that kind of goal, how would you characterize, how would you tackle that pretty monumental task? It's a large task for any any person to take on. And, you know, Governor Ige summarized it um, in one word. He said, Todd, your job is to modernize the state of Hawaii. <laughs> And so we've been we've been at it for the last two and a half years, really trying to get things pushed forward and really, you know, making some innovative changes and ways that we do things to become, you know, a, a much more open and efficient government. Mm -hmm. Well, in terms of uh, you know trying to do that, I mean, how would you go about approaching it? Is it something that you try to get large sums of money and go after big projects, or do you handle it in in different ways in terms of looking at? smaller projects that you can manage and, and manage over time. Yeah, actually, when we first came into office, they were in the process and they had this huge master plan and, and they were trying to develop uh, a customized, uh, do-everything kind of solution that you know did the budgeting and, and financial management and payroll and everything you could think of uh, all rolled into one. Uh, and that's one of the first things I had to deal with was the fact that uh, this do everything, everything integrated custom system was put out to bid. And the reality was that the bids came back uh, way more than we had funds available for the project. Uh, so the first decision Todd uh, and the group, the team really had to make was, do we try to go forward uh, with that basis? You know, do we try to peel off and get to a bite-sized piece that we think would be useful, or do we step back and really um, take a different approach to the project? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talked uh, about that project when it was coming together. That proposal effectively was a one-size-fits-all, big, giant, state-sized solution. It's like trying to build an aircraft carrier, and the fear being, one, it's expensive to do, and two, by the time you're done, you'll probably need something else. So you break it up into smaller pieces. Todd, you know, three years in now, uh, what would be some of the successes in sort of chunking this down and actually moving some of these pieces forward? So there is a lot of things when, when we looked at the ERP as a whole, right, the cost to it, 
and the drain on our resources and did we really have the mo- the money required you know to do that and some of the successes that we had early was was when we broke it up we s- were able to accomplish and take on specific tasks that we were you know we were well equipped to do one of the biggest and earliest things we did was you know communications we put you know, our 18 different departments onto a single email platform, right? We were very, I think we had nine different email platforms when wow. we started. And in six months, we were able to convert everyone over onto Office 365. Um, another big issue that we had was the time it took for us to process paperwork, right? And Governor Ige was is a huge proponent of us being a paperless government. And that's one of the biggest tasks that we had to take on is how can we reduce and enable our state employees to process paperwork quicker, to do digital signatures. And that was one of the first projects that we launched. And I think to date, over 200,000 documents that have been digitally signed Mm. within the state. And that certainly saves a lot of trees, too. Now, Governor, I saw you nodding when he mentioned email. You know, your background is in engineering. I heard you with Bird on Hawaii News now even describe yourself as a geek. We're happy to have you in the club. Yeah. In terms of getting your work done day to day, I mean, what were some of the technology, uh, technological challenges that you faced personally and that you saw benefit from these this progress? Well, as you, as you may be aware, I was very involved with um, the technology and IT when I was in the state legislature. So I was a big proponent of uh, modernizing that system. And obviously, a legislature, you know, you got 76 uh, senators and House members, and it's a relatively uh, self-contained uh, independent uh, organization. So it was easy to make decisions, but we transformed that organization from um, like being totally paper bound to being totally paperless in a relatively short period of time. Mm. So it really was making that commitment to that same kind of um, paperless effort. We I see so much value, especially when you look at state government and its tens of thousands of employees in many, many different facilities and recognizing that it's uh, it's a lot less expensive to uh, to route documents via email or electronically than it actually is to move the paper. So uh, it was really with that perspective, knowing, and remember the legislature, we went from... Um, destroying forests over and over and over again. I I know that when we first started talking about paperless initiative, uh, the legislature was generating more than 10 million pages of documents uh, every year. Uh, And within that first year of implementing um, the first phase of paperless, we reduced that 10 million pages to just over a million. So, Mm. you know, 90% reduction off the top. And more importantly, it saved us a lot of money and it made staff time available to do really real analysis and, you know, different uh, looks at policy and really allowed the legislature to focus more on uh, good policy rather than the logistics of copying mm-hmm. and, and collating and punching holes and all of those things that are involved with paper-based processes. Now, you, you brought up a good point, and that is, you know, in the, in the ledge, there's a, a, a manageable number of, of people that participate in that, that uh, governmental body. 
But when you take on the entire state, sort of the enterprise, it's a lot larger. Now, besides Todd's good looks, I mean, what do you think is going to change the culture that would start to embrace some of these new technologies, whether it's paperless or like e-sign? Well, I think um, I feel very good about the fact that we uh, have one of the best cabinets that I think has served the people of Hawaii. Um, Many of them came from private sector backgrounds, uh, and I selected many of them because I felt they were good leaders. Mm -hmm. You know, I was looking for the cabinet people who had a lot of talent um, and I felt comfortable who could lead their agencies. So when we started and we looked at different kinds of um, projects that would be priority, the whole notion of e-sign and paperless uh, jumped out easily, as, as Todd said. You know, we tried to ask the question, can we send email to all employees? Mm-hmm. And the first ba- first answer we got back is it's virtually impossible mm-hmm. uh, because of all the email systems. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, you know, it became very obvious that this may not be low-hanging fruit per se, but if we could move in communications and e-sign, it would really get us uh, a lot further along than others. And the terrific thing about the cabinet is they, you know, we talked about different kinds of things and there was a general agreement that everybody could see the value in uh, moving toward paperless processes. Um, We could reduce the number of pages produced. Uh, More importantly, though, everyone, I think, could see the value in routing documents electronically, you Mm -hmm, know, that that especially because uh, we're in so many different buildings and so far away, Mm -hmm. that uh, being able to route and get signatures electronically would really accelerate the processes. You know, and I want to hear, Todd, about how you were able to sort of deploy the Office uh, 365. You know, we're talking to Governor David Ige and, of course, CIO Todd Nakapoi. And we will uh, just break for a a quick uh, 15-second promo. And, of course, we'll be right back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And we're talking to Governor David Ige and CIO Todd Nokapoi about efforts to improve the state's IT infrastructure. And of course, right before the break, we're talking about uh, things like uh, paperless and e-sign. And, and Todd, so the big, really, deployment that really sort of normalized all the email systems was Office 365. I mean, how difficult was it to deploy that across the entire enterprise? So if you've Work in the IT industry, you understand how hard it is mm-hmm. to deploy an office, an, a system like Office 365, and especially across about 12,000 employees, mm-hmm. right? It was not something easy. But the fir- one of the first things that Governor taught me when I came into this role is he said that the solutions, you know, to solving a lot of government problems are, are going to come from the employees. And that's what we did is what we, what we really did with Office 365 was not take a solution or technology and ram it down somebody's throat and mm-hmm. say, you must now, all of you must now use Office 365. What we did was say, look, you know, we're going to enable you to be more productive. We're going to enable you to do your job more efficiently by giving you a tool set that allows you to do that. And that's really where it came from, where a lot of the um, 
state agencies were able to, you know, come to us and say, look, this is the business problem that we have, and this is a solution that we really need. Can you help us? And mm-hmm. that's really what we did was enable them through Office 365 to solve those business problems. Mm-hmm. Now, when we were t- you were talking about the paperless uh, solution, I think anybody who's worked in an office has been called into a collation party. I can imagine with the legislature, you everybody got 12 binders at the start of the session. There's somebody with a cart that has to move paper around. There's probably a copier in every third office. One of my questions for you, Todd, is have you, on on the bottom line, realized the kind of benefits you talk about? I mean, certainly saving paper and saving forests is important. But for taxpayers, are they saying, are we f- buying all this expensive technology, signing up for Office 365, and going e-sign? Is that just ch- trading one bill for another? Are you seeing financial benefits? So, yes. The answer is yes. The governor also tasked me with trying to come up with more effective ways of running government. And one of the biggest things that we started to ask within state government was, you know, what is the return on investment? What is the ROI, the ROI for all of these projects? And that's where a lot of times questions aren't asked or weren't being asked is, why are we doing this project? What is the return on investment? And we've set up an entire governance process that now determines whether or not an IT project moves forward based on the return on investment. Mm-hmm. So there are certain projects that we won't move on because there's not a positive return on mm-hmm. investment. So we talk about Office 365. One of the biggest things is that it is a subscription-based application where you know every year supposedly the price goes up. So we're on a three-year rotation or a three-year contract, and we're one of the only states that didn't see uh, 12 to 15% increase in our subscription. We saw a half a million dollar reduction for the mm. next three years on our Office 365 subscription, right? And that's, again, because we're trying to use and we're trying to s- ensure that everything, every dollar that we spend, that there is a positive return on investment for the taxpayer. Mm-hmm. I got to ask, I mean, probably paper vendors, copier vendors, they're probably a little unhappy about some of the changes you're putting in place. There are a lot of vendors that are that are not happy, if you per se, for some of the things that we're doing. But one of the first things that I did when I, came into this role was I brought every single vendor that was supplying any type of IT to the state. I brought them into my office and I asked them, what value have you brought to the state in the past two years? If they couldn't answer that question, um, we reconsidered whether or not we <laughs> wanted to do business. With right, them. right. And as you both know, being the geeks that you are, <laughs> there's, there's, you know, as we transition and um, move into paperless process, you know, th- that just allows us to do more with less. There is so much that uh, we have and that we're responsible for state government. It's not an issue of people losing their jobs, right? As we make changes and we become, we reduce the paper cost, for example, you know, there's many other needs that allows us to make investments that moves the state forward in, mm-hmm. in being more efficient and effective. Now, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, making those investments, moving the state forward. How did you go about choosing things like tax and payroll to really focus in the attention with regard to investment and and resource dedication? Well, um, the tax uh, system modernization was an obvious one uh, because of two things. One, uh, we knew that um, a lot of the code that was the basis of the system was very old and antiquated, mm-hmm. uh, and we were having uh, trouble with uh, keeping it uh, the hardware and the software current. And so we knew that uh, a, a couple things, uh, too much of it was custom uh, and specific 
to the application. And Bert, you've been at the legislature. So every time that there's a, a question of uh, initiating a new tax credit or any change to the tax code, uh, you know, the, the response back from the de- agency was uh, tax department is, well, we need three to five years to implement. Mm-hmm. You know, and obviously that's really not um, not a satisfactory answer. Mm-hmm. So we we initiated and tax modernization uh, was highest priority because, one, it is the revenues, right? I mean, it, it allows us to uh, collect the taxes that are already owed in a more efficient and effective manner. Um, And we knew that we weren't doing a a good job of uh, collecting taxes already owed. You know, at that time point in time, it was hard to uh, audit um, taxpayers, you know, to do even simple kinds of cross-checks like, you know, Bert, if you uh, have a GE license, you know, does business uh, income show up in your personal income tax and, and those kinds of things. So even the basic fundamental cross-checking of uh, whether uh, the obvious kinds of um, revenues or income is being reflected, mm-hmm. we, we couldn't do. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of being more efficient in collecting that revenue because rather than trying to look to increasing taxes. You could get more with what you already are entitled to if your system was mm-hmm. more efficient. We have right. A, uh, right. I mean, you know, I've, I've always said that I, w- I don't want to be advocating for tax increases, mm-hmm. general across-the-board tax increases, until we can do a better job uh, and we can assure the public that we are collecting the taxes already owed. We have a question from our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Cafe from Dosh, I think on the Big Island, who wants to know when uh, we'll be able to upgrade the D, uh, Department of Education's Lotus Notes system. I, I, I'm surprised that that, that that Lotus Notes, when's the last time I've heard that, uh, Todd? Yeah, I haven't worked on a Lotus Note system <laughs> in probably 20 years. <laughs> and so, you know, that that was Lotus Notes was prevalent throughout the state network before we upgraded to Office 365. And I know that the DOE is in the evaluation process of choosing between Google and Office 365. So I think with the new superintendent, a, a decision mm. will be made. Excellent. And then in terms of uh, your oversight, I mean, maybe tell us a little bit about what your – what ETS has in terms of its responsibility over some of the other agencies. I know there's 18 sort of executive uh, um, d- department, but then there's DOE, UH. I mean, how do you relate to them? So this year, the legislature was able to pass a bill, SB 850, that um, gives the CIO oversight over IT projects within the DOE and UH for what's called IVNV or internal validation and verification. So really, all we're trying to do is is ensure that if there's a large IT project going on, that the vendor is meeting the requirements of the contract and that the contract is or the project is on time and on budget. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, we will have to take another quick break, but when we get back, we'll talk a little bit about the upcoming Hawaii Annual Code Challenge. You're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ekahi Ornish Lifestyle Medicine, Hawaii Pacific University, and Ulupono Initiative. 
Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And we are talking to Governor David Ige and State CIO Todd Nakapoi. Now, before we jump into the Hawaii Annual Code Challenge, I do want to ask Todd and the governor, because both of you have talked about data, and of course, we're both kind of data geeks, and want to understand, with all the digitization that's going on within state government and the systems that you're putting in, how do you see data being sort of managed across the enterprise? Well, you know, that's one of the reasons that I really like the Hawaii Annual Code Challenge. It, it, it's about changing the mindset within the departments and agencies to understand that, that collecting data is, is one of those very important um, functions that the state provides. Uh, and in order for us to maximize the, the value to the general public, then it needs to be accessible. And one of the challenges, because, as I said at the very beginning, uh, the IT systems in the state government were so old and antiquated that uh, just getting access to data was was difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, did, we had server rooms in virtually every agency and department. They were setting up their own things. Mm. Uh, they might be, they might have been networked in some way, but it really wasn't uh, organized to maximize or facilitate access to data. Mm-hmm. Uh, so certainly that's one of the things that uh, Todd has really been focused on just in terms of uh, the core infrastructure for IT systems in state government. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, I mean, um, my background in open data, I was looking for, uh, I filed a Freedom of Information Act request back in college when I was the editor of Kaleo when it was a daily paper. And I remember they said, oh, the request would be like $312. I'm like, okay. And then I got like two boxes of paper. That was my data for mm-hmm. my request. Mm-hmm. So we've come a long way from there. Yeah, it's it's really important for us to expose a lot of the data sets, right, and to ensure that that data is publicly available. And so we really started this movement towards a cloud-first type initiative and also a platform-as-a-service initiative, you know, to enable the data sharing not only between the public and state, mm-hmm. but between state agencies, right? Our whole goal, again, is to really look at the data that we have and make sure that our lawmakers and our legislators are making decisions on empirical data, Mm -hmm. right? Like Governor said, it's been hard for us to get them the empirical data that they're asking for, right? As we move to the cloud and as we move to different platforms, it's enabling us as we modernize to give those reports, that type of information that the ledge is required to make sure that they're making decisions based on real empirical data versus, you know, being lobbied or information from other sources. Now, in terms of uh, trying to make sure that the culture within government has uh, the idea of data integrity integrity, sort of well inbred, how do you <clears throat> see having that kind of focus? I mean, do you need new resources? Do you need additional resources to put the focus on this sort of data um, life cycle? There's a, there's a big movement, right, throughout throughout a lot of industries on on how to do data governance. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big things that, that we are looking for and that we are creating through what we call the APCD, the All Payers Claims Database, is a data governance model that we're working on between multiple departments that we can use as you know our framework for the rest of the state. And so that's really our, our first foray into saying that, look, we're going to look at data. We're going to make sure that we meet all of the HIPAA, PII-type compliances, and at the same time be able to really analyze that, that large chunk of data 
and be able to share that across departments. So again, mm-hmm. that's going to be the framework and the model that we use across the state once we push that forward. Okay. So for um, the upcoming Hawaii Annual Code Challenge, Governor, I'm very excited that uh, you're going to be there and um, certainly sharing more of your vision. Um, there are a number of departments that will be presenting challenges that they feel that the developer community can help solve. Are there any that are your pet projects or interest, uh, interest that you're personally interested in seeing? Well, I think that, um, you know, this is the second year, and I think for those departments who chose to participate last year, uh, they were, I think, very surprised to see the effort uh, all of the coding teams uh, put into uh, helping solve their challenges. And so uh, there was a lot of interest this year uh, because they could see the value. Mm. You know, and as I talked with uh, Bert and, and Ryan with you before, it's kind of a dual benefit, right? We're trying to change the mindset within state government that one, that data is important, needs to be managed, but, you know, it really has the the maximum value if we can make it available mm-hmm. to the public. Uh, the, the second part of it is that really we wanted um, the, the coding community, the mm-hmm. software to developers to engage with our agency so that they could establish relationships, they could see value. You know, one of the charges I've asked Todd is to really reduce um, our over-reliance in consultants and really begin uh, to build the capacity both within the state government as well as within the coding community. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this uh, opportunity for the Hawaii Annual Code Challenge is to really uh, increase that activity both within state government as well as within the coding community in general. And so in terms of, um, you know, the format for the uh, Code Challenge, I mean, I think we've got a good turnout from the professional community. Uh, we would love to see more students. And, and Governor, I mean, you've, I think, uh, spent quite a bit of time <clears throat> supporting the coding efforts in schools. I mean, what would you like to see happen in terms of, uh, you know, this perpetuating into into some of the high schools? Well, you know, the thing that has made me most excited, especially with a lot of the science, technology, engineering, and math um, efforts, the STEM efforts, uh, is the organic um traction and excitement Mm -hmm. that is created uh, within our public school system. Uh, You know, I was out at Momilani Elementary for an hour of cold uh, event, you know, and and because the the schools understand how how important coding and software development can be, you know they're finding the partnerships and um, finding ways to uh, put people together so they can offer that to students. So, I I hope that at some point in time we can um, organize the the school system better and figure out how we can get more teams to participate. You know, maybe we can focus on um, the public school or. Uh, DOE types mm. of uh, challenges mm-hmm, uh, that mm-hmm. the students would really uh, get excited about, but we've all, I've all, I've been to the robotics final, and you know the excitement and energy created by each of the schools and each of the teams, I think, is transferable to a kind of a hackathon um, mm-hmm. challenge opportunity. And you know, I think if as we create the opportunities. Uh, for learning coding in the schools that we would have a better chance of creating a competition or a showdown uh, that really benefits and challenges our students. Todd, I mean, so what's going to happen over the, um, on Saturday? 
So Saturday's event is the kickoff. And again, we're going to have eight different challenges being presented by state departments to the, to the developer community. And really what that is, is it's going to allow teams to form organically, right, to go to the challenges that they want to work on. And we also have an open category for people to, to participate in. And they can suggest or, or put in their own suggestions or challenges that they want to work on. That's very good. So, you know, we are almost uh, at capacity for the code challenge. So I think we're all excited about seeing all the turnout that happens uh, on uh, Saturday. Uh, we want to thank, of course, uh, Governor Ige for joining us. And, as, of course, uh, CIO Todd Nakapoi. We want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it was fun. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week. We're going to talk about rocket rocket launches and Project Imua. And, of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on BiteMarksCafe.org. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at BiteMarks.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is the wonderful Beth Ann Koslovich. And, of course, uh, stay safe, and we will see you back here next week for another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.